Welcome to Functional Design Enclosure. I'm Christoph Newman. And I am Nate Jones. Each week we get together and we discuss a software design problem and how we might solve it using functional programming and the closure programming language. So Nate, this week, what are we talking about? Well, Christoph, I really enjoyed talking about tic-tac-toe, the game engine last week, and how we would approach... uh, how we would approach solving that problem using functional programming where we can't mutate any data as opposed to object-oriented programming where everything is hidden behind the class. Uh, so I like that, right. but w- once we were done with that, we could essentially play a game or we could simulate a game of tic-tac-toe in, you know, in the REPL or in a file, uh, but we couldn't really play tic-tac-toe against each other because you know I couldn't make a move and then you make a move and then I make a move. And so I think that that might be a good thing to talk about is how would we take the logic that we had had last week and make it into an actual game that you and I can play against each other. Right, yeah. And you're cracking me up when you said game engine because, boy, that just sounds so so much more than what we ended up with, which was a function. And that's one of the beauties that we run into is if you can write a function that can advance the game state, then you have a have the beginnings of a game engine. And so yeah, how do we how do we take that function and wrap it up in an application so we can actually play tic tac toe and not just feed it things in the REPL? Yeah, yeah that ho- sounds like a really interesting thing that, you know, it's kind of like the next step, right? For for an actual game. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, we don't have to make anything fancy. We don't have to make it like a web app or a mobile app or whatever. Like, let's just pretend you and I are playing closure, like, sorry, <laughs> playing tic-tac-toe against each other on the same computer. You know, we have we, we need an application that we can run and it'll show us the game and let us play, let us make moves. Um, so I don't know wh- what what's what's the what's the base thing you need in a game. You need a game loop. You need you know the actual loop that that will you know, show you the game. I mean, I remember playing Monopoly when I was a kid on in DOS, you know, and it would show you the game and it would just right. have a prompt at the bottom and say, what do you want to do next? And so let's just do something like that. That's simple enough. Sure. So we got to print out the board and then ask, like, what's your move? Like probably, oh, maybe print out whose turn it is, right? That, so would, it's that would be like helpful. X, yeah, X, take your move. And then um, we, we, what, we type in like the row and then the column, yeah, that makes sense. And then sense. hit enter. Yeah, totally. And then, you know, the game would 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 show us the, either the new board or it would say, hey, you know, Nate won. <laughs> Boy, you really blew it, Nate won. You you went to a a non-existent square, you know, 4, 415 just does not exist in this coordinate space, right? <laughs> right, or I want to quit does not work either. <laughs> <laughs> I want to quit. <laughs> Make it stop. Oh, please make it stop is not a valid input. <laughs> <laughs> that, right? that, yeah. <laughs> so okay, so so you know, how 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 would we do a loop enclosure? Yeah, so I remember the first time I ran into this, it was difficult for me because I was used to while loops, right? So so if I go back to imperative, I would think, okay, I have a loop while not done, right? So we'd have like a bool like a Boolean flag or, you know, for in C, like yeah. an int, uh-huh. you know, while not done, and then you do stuff, and then something decides to set that done flag to true, and then the while loop exits. Easy, right? So, so yeah, how do we, how, how do, we do that since we can't change, if we, if we make a done flag, we can't change it, right? So, so what do we do? Well, I mean, uh, the closure has a thing called an atom, 
you know, so what we could do is we could we could take the game state and and or we could we could we could have the atom be you know just a boolean, true or false, and we could have that be at the top of our loop. Uh, does closure okay, have so an actual we make while an loop? atom and then we like swap the value or yeah. reset? I think is a function you use reset, and then and so we basically have like while at done, you know, and then and then we just reset the value. Sure, so that that's mutative. If we want to avoid mutation, is there a way to do it? Yeah, totally. So uh, it's it's using the actual function called loop. So loop just takes. Uh, imagine uh, that. Loop. Yeah, imagine that. It's a it's a wonderful. Um, it's a little bit tricky because you don't you have to do something special at the end, uh, which is called recur. And uh, but you what you do is you you start your your loop. You put in a couple of values that you want to initialize, kind of like a let block. And then at the end, when if you want to go back into that loop again, you just call recur. It's basically it jumps ba- straight up to the top without um, doing any sort of actual recursion, even though that's what is kind of implied. Um, right. I remember the first time I used loop and recur. It, it was a little odd, right? Because it's kind of like a let block where you can you can start with one set of values, like you. So, for example, let's just say we'd have loop, and then we'd have the done flag, and we would initialize it to false. And then when we call recur, we have to pass what the new value is for that. So it's going to go back to the same place. And then we're going to pass a done flag of true or a done flag of false in for the next time through the loop. Right. right so it allows you to decide what the value is going to be for the next loop iteration. Yeah, and, and the way that you, you exit the loop is the, the, the loop uh, keyword doesn't actually do it for you. Uh, you would just test. You, you just do not recur. If you yeah, just don't, don't recur, recur, then you 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 exit your your loop. Right. So unlike a while loop, where it's like it's you you know you're it's going to kind of go back and test the condition. Like it's up to you to have a condition that either recurs or does not recur. And so if it does not recur, then you exit. Right. Like you just fall fall through. And if you do recur, well then you go back to the top. So we're gonna we're gonna have a main function, and it's gonna have this loop recur. And so we're going to need to know whether or not we're done. And, uh, well, I think we need to keep track of the board somehow too, right? Right. So, you know, part of part of the loop start would be, you know, here's the initial game state. So we could just initialize it there. And then I don't think, think, we, even think we need a done flag. If we just, if we don't recur, then we know we're done. We kind of, it's kind of implicit. Um, sure. So, but once so we, we need have to that, know when we're not done. Then right, correct. Like we need some way of detecting, like, our is this game over? So, so how about like a function that we can pass pass at the game state, and it will tell us if there is a winner. How about that? Yeah, totally. That works. So, so back to our our game state we defined before. You kind of have this map or record, and it has this like two D representation of the board and whoever's turn it is. So, so we could write a function that kind of goes through the board and it looks for three X's in a row, three O's in a row. That could be its own interesting function that we're, we'll just say right now there's magic, right? You you write this function, <laughs> it tries all the possibilities. Left is an exercise for the reader. Left is an exercise reader and it returns who won, right? And so it, it could return like an X, an O, or a nil, like nobody's won yet. So, hey, if it returns nil, we know we need to recur, right? Right, but before we do, we, uh, or actually, I, before, before we recur, we need to get the next the next move, right? We need we, no one's won yet. We need to continue on moving. So we need to print the game, and then we need to 
you know, as you said, read those two integers. So I we see. need to have so, two functions. Okay, so we have a loop, and loop takes state, right? And state is just like the initial state of like the in, like a brand new game. And then we print out the board. So we have a function that can print out the board if we hand it the board. And then we have another function. How about if we make another function called like get turn? Right? Uh, yeah, that would be a good idea. Because getting the turn, I, th- I have a feeling it's gonna be, there's going to be a lot of complexity underneath that. Um, I mean, you've got you to gotta read it. You've got to validate it. You have to make sure that there's two numbers there. There's a whole bunch of things. So we don't want to put all that in our loop. Uh, much better oh, to st- tuck it away in, in a function. Okay, so get turn. And then get turn is going to give us kind of a row and a column back. Yeah. And then we're going to apply that to the game state. And then we're going to call the is you know, is winner or get winner function. And if there's no winner, we recur with this new game state, right? We, we pass recur this new game state. So the next iteration of the loop has this new. So that's the bucket brigade of references we talked about before, right? We like started with a reference to the empty game state. Then we called like our turn function, which gave us a new game state. And then, and then we pass that with recur. So we pass it forward. We bucket brigade the reference forward to the next invocation of the loop, right? Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I think by far the most interesting function here is going to be uh, the input function. Because printing the game board is going to be, you know, basically going through all of the rows and printing them out and then printing out, you know, whose turn it is and maybe, you know, the clock time or something like that. Maybe it has a listing of all the previous moves. Um, but that's all basically taking a data structure and turning it into a string. So yeah, I think it's far more interesting to talk about getting input from the user. Um, so I, I, have you ever done input from the terminal in Clojure? I don't think I ever have. I think there's well, a function there. Oh, you have? Oh, I cool. Have when, yeah, I have one for these kind of learning exercises. Oh. Um, Normally, I, you know, I've read from standard in. So if if I've written a little utility that's getting things in a pipeline in Linux or something, but yeah, there's this there's a function you can call called read line, which shockingly reads a line. It does yes. exactly what it says. Some some of these some these are pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. Yes, yes, I know you got to love the naming, right? And so it reads a line and gives it back to you as a string. And then you can do what you will with it, right? So, so we'd probably like print the board, print a prompt. So this function, like get turn, in my imagination, well, it's going to have a loop, right? Because it's going to have to keep harassing this this non-compliant user until they <laughs> type the right thing in or type a valid move in, right? So it's just gonna it's just gonna pester them. So it's going to have to have a loop in order to pester them over and over again in, until they get on board, get with the program. Yeah, so we have a loop within the loop. And and it actually is occurring to me that we're basically writing a REPL, um, a very simple REPL. <laughs> it is unable to parse any sort of code except for it It will accept a tuple of integers. Um, it, it, so you're saying it reads input and then it evaluates it like the game state, and then it prints the new, <laughs> and it loops. <laughs> R-E-P-L, right? <laughs> yes, we have the tic-tac-toe REPL. <laughs> Tic-tac-REPL, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so so in this loop, we, 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 we want to read out this line. We want to parse it into two integers. Then we want to check those integers for validity, like are they in range? 
uh, is that space already occupied? Right. So this thing probably needs to have this function probably needs to be past the current game state so it can know a thing or two. Yeah, uh, but if 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 you so you just listed off like four different things there. So you you want to do some I/O. You want to get you want to read what the user wants, and then you you need to do some some coercing and some validation before you return it. And and I think you could do all those things in the same function, but uh, I've sure. written functions like this before, uh, where you know the function is like eight lines long. And it does everything you need. You know, you basically say, give me, you know, a cake. And it does all the baking needed to give you the cake. And it gives you the cake back. Um, but the problem with that is it really is difficult to test. Because somewhere in the middle there, you had to have an oven present. <clears throat> and, oh, yeah. And, and sure. I don't like having ovens present because they're hard to put in my test cases. Um, right. So, 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 so what's the oven in this case? Hel- so help me with this metaphor. I, I would say the oven is the, is the actual, that, that sticky organic thing called the user. Um, where you have oh, to yeah. actually read input from uh, from the actual terminal. Um, oh right, yeah. So this read line like screws you up, right? Because because like it, it's a side effect. And so how how are you going to test this? I know Nate, you should be able to mock read line. That that's what you should be able to do. Well, what do you think? You know, you actually can. I think st- read line is or sorry, you can. I mean, not sorry, not mock read line. <laughs> I mean, you can mock read line all you want, but uh, you can <laughs> redefine the what standard in is. Uh, that's kind of a more advanced thing in Clojure. But I think pretending we can't do that, I think what you want to do... maybe we don't even want to do that, right? right. Like what, it's, what it's should kind we of, do? Every time I, I redefine one of those things, I always feel like I'm reaching down into the bowels of Clojure and doing something, you know, moderately illegal. Uh, but in this case... We don't really want to test. If, if we're doing that, we're testing readline. We don't need to test readline. I think we can trust that readline works. And so what we really want to do is to have whatever readline we give back to us, test everything from there until we hand it back. That That is the bulk. That's the code that we're writing. We don't want to test code that we're not writing. We want to test the code that we're writing. And so right. we need to separate so the them idea out. is we want, to, we want to separate out all these different pieces into like their sort of pure problems, right? So like we wanna we wanna write a function that what like takes takes the string that was read in and then does something to it? Yeah, I think I think it'd be reasonable to take a string and return either the you know the the a pair of integers or you know an error <laughs> so that you can you can print that error, right? Because if 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 someone enters, sure. you know, I want to go in space zero and a we want to say, hey, that second number was not a number. You know, We don't want to just okay, say invalid input. Okay, so this input. is super cool, right? Because then we have a function, it takes a string, and it's going to give us back maybe a keyword that's like invalid, or it's going to give us a pair of integers, right? So we can, yeah. lo- we can look at, or it's going to give us back nil, and nil means like, nope, they did not give us something valid. So now you can write a bunch of unit tests that take all these different strings, right? Like a unit test that takes... St- a string for scenario A, a string for scenario B, a string for scenario C, and you don't need to mock reline or any of that craziness. You can really isolate out the parsing problem into a function that gives you nil for nothing really worked out, and then it gives you two integers for, hey, at least I could get some integers, right? Yeah, totally. And then, and then the keyword is a nice way of representing errors because, you know, you don't, you want to be able to have the keyword tra- translated into some, you know, language specific error message at the front end you know you don't want to have that generated back in some of the bells of your code 
Sure. So in this case, it could be nil be for like, nope, didn't work out versus, hey, it did work out. But if you went in more nuance, like, oh, well, you typed one number, but you didn't type two or you typed three numbers, but you should have only typed two. You could you could have a return a keyword instead of nil for like the different error scenarios. Yeah, totally. So then once you okay. have those, then you can uh, then it becomes interesting. It actually becomes, you know, something you need to actually validate against, you know, the, with the current game state. You know, is this, you know, if you say I want to go row one and column eight, you know, that's those are two valid integers, but the the tic-tac-toe board, at least the one we're working with, is only three by three. So that's not invalid. Um, so we need to have some way of checking for that. But we also need to check for, you know, hey, Nate already played in the center square. You know, Christoph, you can't do that. So we need to have a way of checking for that too. So, so like a function, we could call it, you know, is valid turn, and then it takes what the game state, and then the row and the column. Yeah, definitely. Or the or the turn tuple, if you will, and then it it returns like true, if it is. I and, I would and, say it should return the tuple itself or a keyword. Like I think if we follow the same pattern on all of our functions, then at the end we can say, did we get a keyword out of this or uh, or a tuple and it, you can keep going if you had a tuple because in the end you got to hand that tuple back to the top level loop because that's what's actually going to advance the game state oh i see so this this get input function it, the, is called from the main loop it has one job and its job is to get us a tuple back or a keyword back and if it gets us a keyword back something went wrong yeah maybe it can even it handle it won't the- advance the game state yeah, maybe it could even handle the quit case where it gives back a quit to you know keyword if it's that's you know I mean, it can even it can handle all input. Oh, I see. Right. So this parser could actually instead of just giving integers, this parser could because we have it returning a keyword, if you type please make it stop, <laughs> then it could return the quit keyword. And then and then we go, Oh, we got a keyword, let's not try to validate that. Let's just return that. And we return by not recurring in this in this loop for the input, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so okay. then, so th- once we have that done, so now, now, now at the in the top level, we have either a keyword or a pair of integers, and we can take that, advance the game state, or or not recur, and then we're done. I see. So if we get quit, we don't recur, and we fall out of the loop, and we're done. If we get a keyword with an error. Maybe we display that error, and then we loop back to the top. We recur with the same game state we started with because, hey, there's nothing that changed, right? Yeah. And if we get a tuple, then we go, oh, okay, let's let's apply the turn because we know it's valid, and let's recur with the new game state. Yeah, there's one thing that reminds me of something that I remember from Scala where there was a way of you, you, could, you could, I think what they were called option types, where you could actually have it so that yeah. it was either a valid value or an error. Right. And, um, or maybes like, in, in Haskell, same thing, options or maybes. Yeah. Yeah, it almost, it's, it, this feels like it's very similar to that, except for, you know, because <clears throat> you can't actually take the output of the coerce function, which takes the string and returns the numbers, and f- just feed it indiscriminately to the next function. It, c- it only can handle the fact that there's two integers. So it's almost like you need to have a little like reactor inside of there that is taking these taking a list of functions and you know passing valid values on and and and, and shortcutting when there's a, a keyword passed out of one of them. Right. You know, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, sure. I know. I mean, with nil punning, you can do that with some, which is kind of nice because you can have everything returned nil. Nil is kind of the, we don't have options in our language construct. Yeah. We use nil punning. But then the bummer about nil punning, right, is it doesn't give you much more context yeah, than you that. You don't really have any different kinds of nil. You just have one. It's just right. the, it's the, uh-uh, the, you know, the I told you uh, yeah. so kind of nope. response. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> totally right. But it's it's not too bad to have uh, you know your function that tries to do the parsing, and it, if it returns a keyword, it doesn't recur, right? Otherwise, it goes to the other branch where it tries to check for validity, and if if that returns a keyword, it doesn't recur, and it hands that back to the top. Um, otherwise, it returns the tuple, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it, interesting. We want to use keywords for both errors and for for communicating, like so to speak, instructions like quit, because um, you need to know which which keywords should you let bubble up and which ones should you force the user through another input loop. Um, I think it it it's an interesting like edge case. Yeah, keywords are super useful in in that regard. Um, sometimes I've just had like a tuple where the first thing is always a keyword. And so that's like you could have an okay keyword. And then the second thing is any data that wants to come along for the ride, you know? So if the first thing is not okay, then it must be an error. And then the second part of the tuple is more more details about the error. And so then that way you have this nice symmetric thing where you always have a keyword for context and then the data for more details. And you can thread that through functions if you want. Oh, yeah, that would be an interesting way to thread it through multiple functions, allowing them to to add or, or not add as it goes along. Right. They would all have to know how to pull that apart. But, yeah, yeah, you could structure it that way. So who knew that tic-tac-toe could be so interesting, uh, making a little tic-tac-toe game? It certainly is a lot of fun, and it's been fun continuing talking about that today. Thank you all for listening to our podcast. If you want to find our show notes about this episode, you can go to our website at closuredesign.club. And you can also hit us up on Twitter at Closure Design. Our email is feedback at closuredesign.club. Please let us know if you have any questions or any feedback. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, even if it's something like, oh, you need to you know, operate your mic a little better, Nate. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Audio qualities, uh, issues notwithstanding. We definitely love to hear from you. We will be back next week. And until then, we implore you to keep your IO out of your logics business. Mm-hmm.